This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of The Overcomers, God's Vision for You to Thrive in an Age of Anxiety and Outrage, written and narrated by pastor and best-selling author Matt Chandler, and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Dynamic voices for a diverse church. This is Pass the Mic. Greetings and God bless. Welcome to another episode of Pass the Mic. Dynamic voices for a diverse church powered by the Reformed African American Network. I'm your host, Tyler Burns. You can follow me on Twitter at Burns23 is my Twitter handle. Joining me as always is our president of the Reformed African American Network, Jamar Tisby. Jamar, how's it going? And it's going well. I'm batching it up this weekend. My wife and son are out of town, and it's just me. Uh, and I don't know if it's just me, but like the first thing I always want to do when my wife is gone is just eat the worst, unhealthiest food imaginable. Okay, now let me let me just say this before we go on. Before I, I, I want to preface this, that Jamar and I have been trying to get this recording working, and this is crazy. We have not talked about what we've been doing this week. My wife is also out of town, and I have also made the worst food. This is crazy. I've also made the worst food eating choices. See, I'm not I the said, only I one. I said I was going to make a salad. I said I was going to oh, cook man. fish. You know I that said I was going to do all this stuff. I haven't done any of it. I was eating no, ice cream be. on Tuesday <laughs> at 2 a.m. Look, man. Oh, wow. That's another level. See, see, but you know, if it's greasy, if it's fatty, if it's fried, if it's salty, if it's sweet... That's what's happening. That's what's going on. And Bro, I can't even this pretend is anymore. That's crazy. <laughs> I had no idea. See, my wife's been out of town for a work trip. And uh, today's day five. So it's, it's that wow. is nuts, man. That's wow. crazy. Wow. Yeah, see, she's only gone for the weekend in my case. So I, there's only so much wilding out I can do. But I'm going to squeeze it all <laughs> in while I can. Trust me. She's going to come home and listen to this boxes. podcast. <laughs> She she didn't listen, but she was gonna see in the trash like like all these fast food containers and whatnot. She 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 already knows. She already knows. So, but yeah, Man, yeah, that's that's, crazy. <laughs> that's what's been going on. I hear you, man. You also just got back in town from the LDR weekend as well. Man, listen, this is the LDR weekend is about the blackest Reformed and Presbyterian conference <laughs> you're gonna see. Um, which isn't saying much because ain't a whole lot of black Presbyterians, but uh, basically it's a, start. <laughs> it's, a, it's a start. If you got them all in a room and say, look, just be you and don't worry about what anybody else says, that would be the LDR. Um, so it was, it was, it was great. This was, I think, year five of the LDR conference, and we were blessed by speakers like Russ Whitfield preached us in on Friday night. Micah Edmondson, who's been on the show before, he talked to us, gave a, a more academic presentation on Saturday morning, and then on Sunday, we always ended up with a church service, and this time it was actually spread around the city, so you had several churches you could choose to attend, and I, I heard uh, Pastor Thurman Williams, great brother, great preacher, so the thing about LDR is it's a conference. Yes, there are workshops, there are plenary sessions, but it feels more like a family reunion. Um, that's the biggest part mm -hmm. of it. Uh, and, and black and white, but it, it really was a, an opportunity to see what biblically faithful, 
theologically reformed expressions of worship look like in the black tradition. And I love it. So yeah, it was a great yeah, time. That's, and, and, and I missed out on the family portion because we had our Pastor Mike group family. Oh my gosh, um, yes. Man, there were so many of them and it, I had to go off. I'm serious. I had to go off social media for a little bit when uh, <laughs> you guys, uh, I was like, um, I need to stay away from social media. Like I need to, I need to step away because you guys post that picture and it was so many of you guys and yeah. y'all eating good food. Yeah, it was. Good ice cream, everything. And I was just like, man, I just want to be there. Ah. Shout out to the Pass the Mic crew that came to LDR. There were over 20 of us that came for the listener meetup on Saturday night. And it was a phenomenal opportunity to meet people in person who we'd seen in the Pass the Mic Facebook group who have listened to the show. Uh, wonderful people out there. Just amazing uh, what God is doing in their lives and their hearts and in their ministries. So that was definitely a highlight for me this year. But don't worry. We're going to do it again next year, God willing. Uh, it'll be over Labor Day weekend, late August, early September and it'll be back in St. Louis again. So y'all, you do not have a reason to miss out for 2017. Mark your calendars now. Labor Day weekend in St. Louis, LDR weekend. Go to ldrweekend.com if you want to find out more info. Yeah, shout out to everybody from the LDR weekend. Pastor Mike um, Higgins and, and his daughter Michelle Higgins, who, yeah. are, who are friends of the show. You also, speaking of them, you also had a Pastor Mike episode that recently came out. Uh, two of them from the LDR Weekend uh, Conference. One is uh, with Pastor Mike Higgins. It's an interview with him. And then another is a breakout session with a friend of the show, Akimini Uwan, where she talks about respectability politics reimagined or the politics of respectability. Basically, the idea that if we pull up our pants and if we don't have any tattoos or we style our hair in a certain way and speak proper English, that people will treat us with respect and that will win over uh, basically the uh, convincing other people of our dignity. So if you want to hear about that, subscribe to the Pass the Mic uh, podcast feed, which will be on iTunes, and it's also on the Satchel app as well if you want to download the Satchel app, which we highly recommend that you do because it is the best thing uh, to listen to. And it has so many features, and I'm going to let Bo give that commercial at another time. <laughs> but you've heard us talk about the Satchel app before, and we want you guys to subscribe to us there. And also, speaking of our podcast releases, we know that we normally get your weekend started off right on Saturday by releasing a new episode. We're shifting some things around because of our incredibly busy schedule. So we're going to start releasing the podcast on Tuesdays instead. Tuesdays. So in the middle of the week, right before hump day, you're going to get some hope in your earbuds, and we want you to subscribe and keep up with us there. Thank you guys so much for listening. All the feedback that we've received has greatly encouraged us, and if you are not a part of the Pass the Mic Facebook group, do that. There's some great things going on there, a number of practical discussions that work itself out in the form of justice, reconciliation, and the church, so you don't want to miss that. Okay, so it's been a little bit since we've um, talked and a lot has happened. And one of the things is in the national spectrum, but also in the micro sports spectrum, we've we've had a, a very significant social statement that was made by um, 49ers quarterback Colin Kaepernick. And for those of you who, if you weren't uh, familiar with it or if you've under, been under a rock over the past couple of weeks with the national discussion that's been going on, on August 26th during a preseason game, before a preseason game against the Green Bay Packers, 
uh, Kaepernick decided to sit down instead of standing up during your, your typical uh, posture during the national anthem. And when he was asked about it, he didn't make a statement. He didn't tell anybody he was doing it. As far as I understand, he just sat down. When someone noticed and came up to him and asked about him, he said the following. He said, I'm not going to stand up to show pride in a flag for a country that oppresses black people and people of color. To me, this is bigger than football, and it would be selfish on my part to look the other way. There are bodies in the street and people getting paid leave and getting away with murder. Uh, he was obviously talking about a series of police brutality cases. And so the response to this has been extreme. It always seems like there's something that will draw us and draw our attention. And we'll talk a little bit about some of the sports context and the sports history um, in a minute. But just from Christians, non-Christians on your social media, then maybe family as well. Jamar, what's the response been uh, to Colin Kaepernick's statement? Well, first of all, this is a highly charged topic, which was somewhat surprising to me when the news first came out. I didn't think it would be, you know, I, I've seen similar protests like these before, and it always offends someone, but it typically right. blows over. So for some reason, this gained traction, and I've been really kind of taken aback at the strength of the opinions that people have and how divisive this topic is being, it has become. So we fully recognize that at the outset, not trying to be divisive um, towards anyone. But it's an, to talk about, especially because a lot of the perspectives tend to diverge across racial lines. Um, so one of the most important and persistent criticisms of Kaepernick's protest has been the patriotism angle that the flag represents a whole lot, but one thing it represents is our soldiers going around the world to protect and defend the interests of the United States, among which is liberty. And so you have uh, men and women fighting, dying, being injured, being traumatized, uh, overseas defending this nation. And so not to honor the flag, not to honor the anthem, uh, while it's played before games, is dishonoring to those soldiers who have put everything on the line and have sacrificed so much. That's one of the most vehement and strongest responses that I've seen. Yeah, there's also an, another response if we're talking about just kind of creating a mental list of these responses. There's another response that basically says it's divisive. <laughs> it's yeah. it's anti-unity. And, 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 him making this stance, there's other ways that he can do it. There's other tactics. There's other methods that he could employ and utilize. And um, so those two, the the patriotic angle and then also the tactic angle. But then from there, there's there's another, and this has been the the very interesting one to hear, especially from people of faith, is mm. a character assault. So so well, he's just an armchair activist. You know, he's he's not. What is he doing on a daily basis? How, why doesn't he donate some of his money? And then we get into he's a poor role model. And, and these are things that I think I hear more often from people of faith is this spectrum of personal critique. So it, it shifts from just being about the argumentation and about the statement itself to being a pronouncement of his character and his integrity or the lack thereof due to the stand that he's taking. Right. Ha have you seen the same thing? I have. You know, I don't know. Maybe we all just need to take a logic course in addition to like a civics <laughs> course simply to be american citizens but the 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 frequency with which 
online and in the public sector, we resort to ad hominem attacks without actually engaging the issue is staggering. And, you know, I think it was one of our first podcasts we ever did. It's called The Double-Edged Sword of Social Media. And that's what uh, we were trying to get at in that podcast. But, but yeah, there, there have been a lot of criticisms of Colin Kaepernick himself, one of which is this this man is privileged, right? Like, first of all, he's biracial. And so issues of colorism come to an, in effect. So, and, and by the way, Tyler, we need to have a whole podcast on colorism and just what that is. 100%. Um, yes, we do. He was, you know, he was he was raised in a good environment and now he's making millions of dollars at the highest level of professional sports. So many people in criticizing him are saying, look, you are enjoying the benefits of the United States to the nth degree, to a, to a level that most citizens will never taste. And why are you protesting? You don't even have the right to protest uh, living the life that you do. So they're basically saying you're too privileged to protest. What do you think of that? Uh, okay, so you want me to get directly into this one? Come on, man. Um, <laughs> let me let me say this, and and then we can address some of the other issues because I think this this really is one of the ones, and I think the character one is all of these are a little distressing in a, in their own way. This one bothers me the most, I think, just simply because it's a silencing mechanism. I, I don't think people realize Ooh. how how powerful and how historical that line of argumentation is. This is actually an overarching concern that I have, and I mentioned it before on the podcast, is that we're so ignorant of history that we don't realize who we're standing next to historically. Wow. We don't realize the type of people who we're allying ourselves with, with the statements that we make. So, so one of the common statements was, well, you should be happy. You should feel um, privileged that you get the opportunity that we gave you anything. Ooh. So why are you complaining when we let you eat meals and we had good accommodations for you? And yeah, you were slaves. I understand that. But I mean, at least we didn't kill you. I mean, at least we didn't lynch you. I mean, you got to live. And, and it's this mentality, and it's not a one-to-one -one correlation, but what people hear, and people of color in particular, is that if you have money, this somehow ceases or detaches you from your personhood and from the Imago Dei and says, well, you know, you're, you, the experiences of other people, which is what Kaepernick was pointing to, not his own experience, but the experience of other people— if the experiences of other people aren't yours, you can't advocate for them. And so I would humbly say, never protest human trafficking if you haven't been human trafficked. Never protest uh, any sort of social issue if you yourself have not personally experienced it. That would be absurd, of course, right? right? But the problem is when it comes to race and when it comes to justice and reconciliation, somehow we've forgotten that that mentality because if we don't personally experience it, then people are implicitly saying it doesn't exist because you didn't experience it and you can't talk. Yeah. Okay. So so let's put put cards on the table. Do you support his protest or not? I'll go, but you go first. <laughs> <laughs> See, Jamar is always doing this. I hope oh, you guys man. recognize that Jamar is always doing this. He puts me out first. That just works. Better. Now, you first did this. You first did this with Cosby. You're like, so do you think he's guilty? Oh, do you think he did it? Do you think? <laughs> okay, so so here's what I'll say. Absolutely. I 100% support 
his right to do what he is doing. Now, his right to do what he is doing is the most effective way for him to draw attention to injustice and oppression in his context. I support anyone doing anything that is peaceful, um, a peaceful demonstration and a peaceful resistance and disruption of injustice and oppression in their context. For some people, that will take different forms. For other people, it would not be wise for them to do that. I've seen some service members get in trouble for doing that. Um, it may not be wise for them to do that given their chosen field. But in his case, I believe he was peaceful. I believe he was nonviolent. And these are the things, this is what he felt was the best way to move forward. And we'll get into why it's very important uh, for that later. But okay, Jamar, since you put me on the hot seat, I'll throw it back to you. Yeah. Uh, so I haven't really commented on social media at all about Kaepernick because it was so divisive and I didn't want to put anything out there that would lead to like, you know, an endless stream of, of posts and responses or anything. But as I've, I've noticed, that. <laughs> if I've watched this issue unfold, if, as I've heard the arguments, I, yeah, I support Colin Kaepernick. Um, I support, yes, his right to protest, but I feel like even that is somewhat easy to say, you know, theoretically we can support anyone's right to express themselves in, in certain ways. Right. Do you, right. you, you know, support this form of protest? And to me, it's like, look, not only is it peaceful, right? It's nonviolent. Not only is it that it's individual. He hasn't yet, like you said, when it first came out, he didn't make some big announcement. He didn't have a press conference to say, hey, everybody, look at me, look at what I'm doing. He just had a personal conviction, said this is this is how it's going to go down. And if anybody asked me about it, clearly he was ready to address it, but he wasn't, you know, putting himself on a platform or to make a big show of it when he started out. And not only is it peaceful, not only did he not uh, personally draw attention to himself at first, but it's not even illegal, nor is it even against the rules of the NFL. Right, like so, he can't be. Right, he can't be arrested. <laughs> Nor is it even necessarily it. unbiblical, right? No, we'll know, get, into, we get it, into that one. Um, so I'm just like, look, th if th if there's gonna be protest that does anything at all, this is basically the most innocuous way to do it. Now the crux is, it's during the national anthem, and it's related yes. to the flag. And I really think that's yes. what gets people. And I also think where that's that's where a lot of the breakdown is across racial lines. Because let's let's face it, uh, the flag means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And for people of African descent, uh, particularly African Americans, it, it it has a lot of conflicting and negative messages. The analogy is uh, what uh, Frederick Douglass wrote about what to the Negroes yes. the Fourth of July. You know, yes. when the history of your people in this nation is race-based chattel slavery, is legalized segregation through Jim Crow, is ongoing forms of institutional uh, and systemic racism and injustice, uh, you know, the country and its symbols are going to represent different things to you than it would be to someone else. So right. that's where I think the rub is. Absolutely. Now, let's get into one thing. You, you mentioned the privilege aspect. You know, one of the things about privilege that I think people miss is that privilege is not a bad thing, right? If you have something that someone else does not have, 
that does not mean that you are bad or you are evil and they are intrinsically good. Um, we are not our our worth is not built on our materials. We it's, should it's do a podcast on, on that, right? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> we, so I hope somebody just taking notes on all the things we said we were going to do a podcast on. We have about fifty. Yeah, more but that's what that we actually did. already did one on. So. <laughs> Uh, right, right, absolutely. So, uh, when we need to do another one, it just keeps coming back around. So, let's talk about how he's using his privilege. Well, what is he gaining from this? Well, um, mm. the first thing he is not gaining is in more endorsements. Um, he lost endorsements based upon this. So, so, so some people would say, well, how is he really using his privilege? Well, at the beginning of the school year, uh, about a week ago. He, along with his girlfriend, decided to donate $60,000 worth of backpacks to New York City kids. Um, so, so that's using his privilege. Um, he took all of his jersey sales. He quickly became the number one selling jersey in the NFL, which is a testament <laughs> in and of itself to 2016. If he does this in 2001, it probably isn't the same thing. I, I, absolutely not. Um, but he said he's going to donate all those proceeds to um, charitable organizations. He also said he's going to donate the first $1 million of this year's salary to community organizations that are bringing about equity um, and equality for disenfranchised people. And I'm glad we waited a little bit before we recorded this podcast because just recently it came out that the 49ers as an organization are also going to donate $1 million to community organizations that are pushing for equality and justice for people of color. So if we're talking about how you use your privilege, the fact that he has privilege is not a strike against him. That was given to him. It's God-given. Uh, falls on the just and the unjust. He, he blesses um, us all in different ways. But how he's used it, I, I you know, you may disagree with his method or tactic, but I, I think people who have said, oh, well, well, he's not doing anything, have started to run out of arguments <laughs> because he's really confounded um, that sort of line of argumentation by saying, oh, well, he's not a character. He's not a he, character guy. He's not a role model. Well, this is about, uh, man, this is about as squeaky clean as, as you can get, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, he, I think he had a lot to lose, right? So, so with, with yes. different forms of privilege, it means that when you take a risk, you stand to lose some of that privilege. And so here's his situation. He is, you know, he had this phenomenal season a couple of seasons ago, got the starting job as quarterback, uh, mm -hmm. led the San Francisco 49ers to an incredible season. Since then, he hasn't really been able to replicate that. And so he's not even the starter this year, which means, you know, he could be cut. Right pretty easily, right? Like that's a real job risk and doing something this controversial doesn't exactly help him with the team. Very few teams would 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 want to draw that kind of attention especially before the season even gets going. So he has his job to think about. He has endorsements to think about. He he stands to lose a heck of a lot more money than I do if I was protesting. Um <laughs> Uh, he has his whole reputation. You know, he's a young guy. This is not like he's he's older and has has doesn't really care what anyone thinks because he doesn't doesn't have yeah, nothing he's to lose. He's twenty eight. Man, he's a baby. Yeah, so he's super super young. <laughs> he got a lot of time left. Uh, so he, 
that in and of itself to me says at least this guy is serious about it because he knows the ramifications right. for it and he's taking a seat as it were anyway so can we at right. least give him credit for having the courage of his convictions whether you like or agree what he's doing or not let's 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 not attack right. him as a person because he's not doing this whimsically that it's actually coming at great risk to his career and his reputation yeah, and I think what's interesting, it you know, kind of circling back around to the military um, argument, and and the people who said this is disrespectful to the military, is he has made himself very wide open to a shift, very subtle but meaningful shift in tactic, um, when it comes to his response, his protest to the national anthem. Um, a U.S. military veteran named Nate Boyer, um, who was also a former NFL player, met with Kaepernick. He wrote him an open letter, basically saying. Hey, I may not understand everything that you're doing, but I'm listening. I'm trying to learn. Um, and when you do stand up for the national anthem, again, I want to stand right next to you. So Kaepernick invited him out to a game uh, because Boyer did not make the Seattle Seahawks team. So Kaepernick invited him out to a game and they talked for a few hours before the game. And he convinced Kaepernick to, instead of sitting, to kneel out of respect for the military but yet and still protesting those who are oppressed uh, or the oppression of, of people of color. So to, to me, even in his interviews, he's made it clear he's not talking about disrespecting the military. What he is talking about is what the country has systematically done. And so for me, when I see that and when I hear that, I hear someone who is genuinely trying to take a stand in the way that he knows how and, and and while there may be people who may disagree, I don't think that the Bible and I don't think that the gospel is that we elevate nationalism or we elevate this sort of uh, unison uh, refrain and 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 love and praise for our country without any sort of critique. I mean, it gets back to what James Baldwin said. Yes, I do love America, and I will ruthlessly criticize her in love, <laughs> right? Because there are certain things that should change about the country. And so I, I would ask, and I think if, if people are listening and they would say, well, I disagree with Colin Kaepernick. Well, here's what I would, would ask very humbly. How, what should he have done? And how should he have drawn attention to this issue? Because if, if, from my perspective, we're talking about this even more than we have been before. And the conversation is continuing because other players are joining, uh, players from different sports are joining, people are taking notice, the president has given his thoughts. So it seems like this has stirred up conversation and also charitable donations. So what more do we want? Yeah. And, and I'm just wondering, you know, is there anything valid in the criticisms that people are leveling? Um, even if, I agree with what Colin is doing in principle. I'm wondering, at least one of the troubles, one of the difficulties that I think he's facing is in choosing this form of protest, which it's weird because it's not directly protesting the flag, but somehow that got wrapped up in there, even though, you know, because right. it's right. It's really not. It's during yeah. the anthem, right? But whatever, they're connected. So, so in 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 having this connection to the flag i think he's actually left himself open to a lot of critiques because the united states flag represents so many different things to so many different people um it it's really hard then like 
can anyone, everyone, no matter how patriotic you are, is going to have criticisms and critiques of the nation. Uh, but does that then mean that we protest the symbol? And that's this is one of the objections that I've heard, that he's protesting the symbol that actually unites all of us. Do you think there's anything to that? Well, I think... I think the country is more than the flag. I think the country is more than the anthem. And I think what's even more powerful than just the flag and the anthem are the values behind it. And and from from where I sit, the most important thing that I want to convey to people is not to disrespect the flag. It's not to disrespect the anthem, but it's to uphold the values that they stand for. And if we're not upholding the values that they stand for, what are we united around? And what is this unity that we're talking about? What is this peace that we're saying exists when we say liberty and justice for all um, in our pledge and it's not actually being lived out in our criminal justice system and in other places? So I'm I'm sensitive to that idea. And, And let me give you my experience. Growing up, I mean, going to a Christian school, you would pledge and sing the anthem at every event. It's it's actually jarring because when I went back to the school um, for a concert that my brother and sister were involved in, because they went to the academy as well, when I went back after a few years of graduating and being out of college, it was interesting because I heard so many patriotic references. We're not talking about a patriotic concert. It, it almost borderlined on... on um, kind of forcing nationalism into our heads like uh. like you know love your country love your country be patriotic be patriotic as though the patriotism and the sentiment in and of itself is greater than the values that the country is supposed to stand for wow i'm going to be given an account for you know what i did for the least of these as as christ puts it i'm going to be given an account for how i loved my neighbor as myself not whether or not I pledged a flag or, or I conveyed a sentiment, it is fine to respect and love your country. I just think some people don't want to uh, sing a love anthem to the country. <laughs> um, some people feel uncomfortable doing that. And I think if they feel uncomfortable doing that, we should respect that. But that doesn't necessarily mean that we're not unified. I think it just may mean we have different perspectives on what the flag actually means and what it means to us. Your thoughts? Yeah, I, I, I definitely agree with that. I mean, we've got to remember the nation was, was founded on protest, right? The American Revolution Oh, come wasn't... on, man. See, they don't want to hear that, man. They don't... <laughs> it's, 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 it's part of being American is that if you find something that you think is contrary to your ideals or the ideals that humanity should be living up to, you, you say something, you speak up, you do something about it. And so, in a way, <laughs> protest is patriotic. Um, that's, mm. that's, that's where in a large part, we came from in that sense. And let's also remember, this is actually during the the national anthem. But I mean, there's so much here, right? Like you came up, you, you had a great point that it's almost like this forced patriotism. And I read a really, I thought, helpful books, book uh, critiques can be uh, leveled just like anything. But the book is called... Um, one Nation Under God, and it is how corporate America invented Christian America. 
It's by mm. uh, a professor, uh, hi- professor of history at Princeton named Kevin Cruz, K-R-U-S-E. And he's basically talking about in that book uh, how it was really intentional crafting of messages to send uh, – to, to, to sort of reignite patriotism, particularly among Christians, which is really helpful because what it does is shows that a lot of these things we take for granted, like saying one nation under God, that phrase under God, and having these ceremonies before football games and baseball games and the national, that stuff is recent. It's 20th century. It's it's exactly. 1950s on for a lot of these different things. And we take it for granted in saying America's a Christian nation and how Christians ought to be patriotic in these ways. Well, no, it, it wasn't always like that. This brand of patriotism that we now practice is relatively new in the history of the nation. And it's certainly not purely Christian. You know, you can't make a one-to-one correlation between being a patriot and being a Christian by any means. So that's something right. I think we we all need to bear in mind and be very careful because our ultimate allegiance, ultimate allegiance isn't to the country but to Christ. Right. Yeah, and I think that's a that's a great point to make because okay, so you hear me say I'm I'm an advocate for peaceful, nonviolent, but disruptive protests. I am an advocate for that. Um, I'm not an advocate for that 24-7, but I'm an advocate for that when it draws attention to injustice and oppression. But I'm an advocate for that not because I like agitation, not because I like protest, but because I want to uphold justice. And, and I think we are, we are called in Isaiah 1 to correct oppression. And we are called, you know, it, it's actually interesting. I was reading uh, the book of Nehemiah, just been reading it personally. Um, it feels like the season that I've been in, right? Just uh, rebuilding the wall and and um, and working on some things personally and then locally in our community. And you get to Nehemiah 5, right? And you get to Nehemiah 5 and you see this really interesting story about how Nehemiah intervenes in the outcry um, of the poor. And they're basically saying, we're oppressed. <laughs> we're slaves. Like we're forced into labor. Like there's unjust taxes. There's all these things that are, are are working themselves out. And what we hear from Nehemiah in particular, one of the verses, it says he was angry. He, he was angry when he heard the outcry in their words. And, and he didn't just stay angry, but he did something about it. He went and challenged the status quo. He went and challenged the nobles and the assembly of men to say, you need to fear God. Like this is, God is going to, going to hold us accountable. God is going to shake us out if we are not willing to adhere to his basic tenets of treating the poor well, treating the vulnerable well, treating the marginalized well, and not oppressing people, whether consciously or unconsciously. So when I hear that, what I hear is that the you know Nehemiah is concerned and Nehemiah is moved not just by the outcry itself but by what's behind the outcry hmm. which i think every protest is a statement about the image of god it is a cry for dignity you know and that's probably the most used word over the last 2 years on past the mic is just dignity yeah. right and 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 it's it's crazy because it seems like all these Issues that we keep talking about head back to one point, which is the idea that we treat human beings as though God has created them in his image. 
And man, it's not about the protest itself. It's not about whether or not I want to be right about the flag or whether or not I want to be right about someone sitting down during the national anthem. But when are we as Christians going to pay attention to the outcry of those who have not been treated well? God is watching how we treat each other. And if someone, whether Christian or not, stands up and says, hey, this is wrong and we should do something about it, rather than silencing and demonizing, I would hope we would listen. I would hope we would have compassion for them. So the other thing we have to remember is that, like it or not, and the more I read and the more I study about this, the the truer I see it, America's present is inextricably tied to its blatantly racist past. And I'll, and I'll say blatantly racist because we now, still got somebody. Racism. Y'all need to tweet that, tweet that and tag Jamal. Oh, no. Man. Yeah, get me in more trouble. That's great. Um, now, I say blatantly racist because we're still dealing with racism. It's just not as, you know, socially acceptable in certain ways anymore. Um, but America's present is inextricably tied to its blatantly racist past. And you can see this in the national anthem itself. Right. So what was interesting that that came to light and this uh, this has been, you know, talked about for years and years and years, but it recently resurfaced with Kaepernick's protest is that we only actually sing the first verse of the national anthem. But there are (laughs) there are four verses and it was written by Francis Scott Key about the War of 1812 and he was racist. I mean, he was outright racist. He was mad uh, at black people when he wrote this song. Let me read you the third verse, and then I'm going to read a paragraph analyzing it from uh, the website The Undefeated. So the third verse says, And where is that band who so vauntingly swore that the havoc of war and the battle's confusion, a home and a country should leave us no more? And here's the part that's troublesome. Their blood has washed out their foul footsteps pollution. No refuge could no refuge could save the hireling and slave from the terror of flight or the gloom of the grave. And it, hmm. it goes on, and the star-spangled banner in triumph doth wave o'er the land of the free and the home of the brave. Now, what does that mean? No refuge could, refuge could save the hireling and slave. Well, this is about the War of 1812. Um Great Britain was trying to restrict U.S. trade and America's desire to expand its territory into Canada. Uh, about 15% of the population was enslaved by this time. They're black, they were African slaves. And British forces recruited escaped slaves to fight for the slaves' freedom against the American militia. This unit, referred to as the Colonial Marines, was part of the British forces that overran Washington, D.C. in 1814 and set fire to the White House. And so when Keyes is talking about uh, no refuge could save the hireling and slave, he's talking about these African slaves who escaped and then fought for the British against the against America. And he's mad at that. And he writes it into this song. And so it, it like... You're protesting people fighting for their wow. freedom. <laughs> and wow. that's the anthem that we have adopted. Now, we don't sing that part, but it's still part of the anthem in the same way that so many other egregious acts of hatred and marginalization are part of our country as a whole, which I think makes a legitimate case 
for people to protest not only incidents from the past, but how those incidents continue in various forms today. Right, man, that is, uh, so it's interesting that you bring that part up because where I first heard that was in one of the eulogies given at Muhammad Ali's funeral. And uh, one of the pastors stood up and actually quoted that portion. And I remember I was ironing at the time and I stopped and, you know, I left the iron on my shirt. I had to catch myself. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, because, because I said, what? I, I had no idea. Like, I was completely unaware of the third verse of the national anthem. And, it, and it, you know, it's very interesting because it was ironic that he said that at the funeral of Muhammad Ali. Because we so often forget that sports activism, activism in sports... Um, and protest is not something that is new. It didn't start with Colin Kaepernick, but there have been a history of of men and women who have stood in opposition to unjust acts that our country or other countries have proliferated. I mean, we're talking about Muhammad Ali, um, a, a quote recently resurfaced from Jackie Robinson's biography, autobiography, where he talks about how even though he was a military man and a black man and a citizen of this country and had very, you know, complex, diverse uh, political views. So he wasn't just, you know, a liberal Democrat. Um, he had very complex political views from a conservative perspective, how he said, I will not stand for the anthem. I will not salute the flag. Um, you go to Jim Brown, you go to John Carlos and, and Tommy Smith in the 1968 Mexico City Olympic Games. Uh, all these things, we see this consistent pattern, but many of us have conveniently forgotten that these things ha- have existed and that these stands have taken. And I wonder, how will Colin Kaepernick be viewed um, 20 years from now, 30 years from now, 50 years from now when he passes on? Will he be viewed positively in the same way that we have almost revised Muhammad Ali to be this ubiquitous symbol of humanity and equality and peace and love and justice? Um, or will he be viewed as um, a pariah? Or will he be viewed as public enemy number one? I, I don't know. I don't know him personally, but it's interesting to put everything in its historical context. We see things that are continuously coming around because we are not dealing with the same issues the same issues that existed in the 1960s. And one of the actual protest demands that was given by uh, John Carlos and Tommy Smith, th- they actually stood on the podium without socks or without shoes uh, to protest poverty in America. Um, they actually talked about uh, the hiring of more African-American assistant coaches on their teams. They they made these lists of demands before they put their fist up during the national anthem and it's it's interesting that man we're still dealing with the same things when will when will we distance ourselves from our very racist history when will we distance ourselves from our um our church's silence on these issues and one of the pastors that I follow online he really said it well the church must speak the church must say something and where the church does not say something regardless of whatever your opinion is um, on on tactics and methods, we're missing the opportunity to reach real people and to touch real hearts and to show people the love and grace that is found in Jesus Christ. So hopefully we won't miss this moment because these moments keep coming around and they're going to continue to come around if we don't address it now. 
Well, I'm glad you brought up historical figures like Ali and Jackie Robinson and, and others, and particularly Ali, who we who just lost in 2016. And like you said, we he's he's a hero now, and we admire him so much for standing up for his beliefs and having the courage of his convictions. But when he was doing it, he was reviled. He was not popular. The, <laughs> right, the, right. the 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 people who are lamenting his loss now were some of the same ones or in that same ideological strand who were decrying him while it was going on. So I think it's important for us to remember that that. You know, when we read about these folks in the history books or, or articles, it's like, wow, look what they accomplished. It was by no means certain that they would accomplish what they set out to do because of the opposition they faced. And it was very, very difficult. So as we consider our own role in protesting injustice, as we think about the ways that we ourselves need to act beyond doing a podcast or sending a tweet or whatever, we got to remember and this goes along with the Christian life, it's going to be costly. Um, we, mm. When people are in the dark, ourselves included, we don't want to be brought out into the light. And we certainly don't want anyone pointing out the areas where we may be failing. And those failures hurt others, but they benefit us. So it's not going to be easy. And that's something that we need, and certainly I need, to constantly remind myself that it's, it's well and good to have convictions and to believe the world should be a certain way, but to stand up and try to do something about it, or in Colin Kaepernick's case, sit down and do something about it, it's, 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 it's not going to be popular. Uh, but protest isn't designed to be popular. It's designed to be disruptive and to induce change. So I think... Right. And, that, and that's with anything, right? Not just, that's, that's not just racial injustice, but yep. that's also... Um, human trafficking. That's also life in the womb. Exactly. Um, that's also poverty. That's also healthcare. That's also education. Um, that's also uh, religious liberty concerns. All these things will not be popular. Um, and, you know, none of them will will um, none of them will be popular in the time that we do them. Because as I mentioned before, and you said part of it, but uh, protest is always any sort of protest against injustice, whether it's big or small. It's always costly and inconvenient. Um, it is always going to be inconvenient, but uh, we must speak anyway because we have been compelled to. Uh, so it's a very instructive word, Jamar. I appreciate you, man. That's uh, that's a good reminder for us to position and posture ourselves um, humbly as well. I mean, you know, and I think I think maybe that's something that's missing from what we've seen in 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 mainstream protest movements is the humility. Right? There has to be a certain amount of humility even as we approach the the issues of injustice and oppression with stubbornness that the Christian walk requires us to be humble. And so how do we exercise humility in the midst of our dogged stance against injustice and oppression and and planting our feet on the truth while at the same time saying, um, God, lead us and guide us in a way that elevates you and decreases us even in the midst of this, right? So keeping the gospel ethic of of he must increase, I must decrease at the center of even the things that we do in protest. And I think that's where as Christians, we have to be very careful, but also have to be very particular about what we do, how we do it, when we do it, and the motives behind what we do. So Very true. Very true. Well, thank you guys for so much for joining us. Um, we're back. We're excited. 
um, to deal with a number of different co- topics in the uh, coming days and weeks and months. Um, we got some great interviews lined up, so you want to definitely stay tuned. As I mentioned earlier, um, you can follow us personally. I'm at Burns23 on Twitter. Jamar is at Jamar Tisby. You can also follow the show at underscore pass the mic. Uh, send us a tweet. Let us know if you enjoy this episode. Send us your feedback. You can also follow the website itself at Rand Network uh, on Twitter. And we want you to go and visit randnetwork.org. There have been some great articles that have been coming out. There's always good writing. Um, there's always just excellent perspective. And if you're wondering how do I process some of these issues in a deeper way, even than just a podcast, even in the, than just a couple of tweets, randnetwork.org is the place that you need to go and visit. Um, we also want you to join our Pastor Mike private Facebook group. Please reach out to us. Join us on Facebook. Um, just put in a request at the Pastor Mike group and uh, we'll let you in. It's just a great place to find new friends, new brothers, new sisters um, who are pursuing justice and reconciliation with the same further fervor according to the gospel. Um, and then finally, just subscribe to us on iTunes. Leave us a review. Rate us if you've enjoyed the podcast and also download the Satchel app and subscribe to us there as well. Jamar, anything else? Man, uh, I am just thrilled about the support that that Passive Mike listeners have given us. Um, it's amazing. Everywhere I go, I, I run into people who listen to Passive Mike, and I never knew it. So we're praising God for this ministry. I ask that y'all would, would join us in praying for Ran and praying for Pastor Mike. Um, we all have day jobs. <laughs> we all have different things to do, but uh, God has chosen and seen fit to to bless this ministry, and we pray that he would continue to do so. We would certainly love your support in uh, lifting those requests to God. But thank you all. Please leave us some reviews. Let other people know, like, and share the, the, the material and the content that we put out so other people can know. Appreciate you all. That's right. Well, we'll uh, see you guys soon on the next Pass the Mic. You've been listening to Pass the Mic, a Pottery production. To find out more about this and other shows, visit Pottery.com. That's P-O-D-A-S-T-E-R-Y dot com. This episode was brought to you in part by the Compelled Podcast, which uses gripping, immersive storytelling to bring Christian testimonies to life. Listen to missionaries, addicts, martyrs, and more who have seen Jesus at work in unbelievable ways. Listen on your podcast app or compelledpodcast.com.